Welcome to Let's Continue the Conversation. Some conversations are inherently difficult to have, especially when they involve race, diversity, and inclusion. I'm Lizzie Morris, and along with my dear friend and co-host, Trisha Broderick, we're here to continue these conversations. We want to see our corporate spaces all over the world be truly inclusive. But for that to happen, everybody needs to be recognized as beautiful in their own right. I am a beautiful person. You are a beautiful person. Let's continue the conversation until the whole world understands this. It starts here, one conversation at a time. Let's connect so that we can collaborate to bring about the necessary change to make our world a beautiful place for all humans. If you are finding yourself motivated and inspired, learning something new, or a fan of the show, let us spread the message together. Help us to do that by screenshotting this episode, add it to your Insta stories and tag us at Let's Continue the Conversations. And on Twitter, tweet away, Let's Continue the Conversations and tag us there. It's time to continue the conversation. Let's get started. Hi. Hi to everybody, to all our audiences. Thank you so much for showing up. And as usual, Trish does the opening. Um, so hi, my name is Trisha Broderick. I have been very lucky, I like to say, in that I came from an upbringing that made it very clear I needed a lot of education very, very quickly. And so I have been honored to have difficult kinds of conversations, to be willing to ask the tough questions, to say, oh, I didn't know that was the wrong thing to say and and to apologize. And we've been having these conversations for a long time. Lizzie is uh, a friend that we've known for years. We meet up at conferences. We have tough, random conversations. And so when things happened in 2020, where more people wanted to start engaging in the conversations. So as I come in to this is I've had the luxury of being able to have a lot of these conversations. I have built relationships with different people and different underrepresented groups. And one day, Lizzie and I were having a conversation, talking through just what was going on in the world and and just the frustrations that we're having. And Lizzie said, I wish this, I I wish this was what people could hear is just us having conversation, talking about difficult things, but laughing, but also crying at times, but also like frustrated, right? And I, in my momentary unfiltered self went, well, why not? Let's put it live. Let's put it out there. And so this is definitely different than what Lizzie and I do kind of professionally in terms of training and coaching, especially in the software development and leadership spaces. But we're going to hold a conversation and they're not scripted. We don't know where it's going to go. And sometimes we even forget that people are listening in. So we're just going to own that up front. Chances are we may even say something incorrect or wrong and need to be educated ourselves and learn, but we want to continue the conversation. And so I'm going to let Lizzie talk about why why we titled it and called it Continuing the Conversation. So welcome to everyone. The reason we started calling this the Continue the Conversation was I made this comment. I want, after this stuff has left the news, people are still talking because I don't just want it to be a news-based conversation. And if people aren't talking about it, after it's left the news, nothing is going to change. And I went as far as saying this, the place that's going to really change the world we live in is going to be the corporate space. Because the corporate space is where the finances come from, for the lobbyists, etc. that shift things. So if corporate recognizes there has to be a change and begins to make that change possible and part of their mandate, then we will start to see real change 
hit the communities and our America and our world at large. So now I may be incorrect in that belief, but in everything that I have seen in American history, there definitely seems to be the drive of dollars behind things. And dollars ultimately come from the corporate spaces and those who are earning that kind of income. So if we have shareholders and we have board members who start to see this as something they should be concerned about, then we're going to start to see change. And it's not going to be an overnight change. I know that. And I was overly optimistic. And Trisha remembers where I really got in on somebody. We were in an event. and we Late were- night conference. I think we were in the hotel suite afterwards, weren't we? Right. I believed that we could, you know, some said, oh, it's going to take years. We're talking about another 400, 500 years before anything changed. And I said, no way, that's impossible. Do you not understand where we are in this world where technology is? And you're telling me it's going to take that long for change for people to see everybody assume it. And I went to work on this person only to find out that when I looked at history and data. When you educated when you learned a little. <laughs> when I learned a little, I realized, oh, my God they might be actually right. And I cringed. I literally did an internal cringe because I was so adamant about my opinion without having all that history that that person had with them when they made that statement that they thought it would take another 500 years. So that was the part that was difficult. So I have been learning. I have been inspecting and adapting and adjusting consistently You know, I look to people who are out there on LinkedIn and I learn more. And yes, I've gone and got educated. I went and became a DI practitioner and took the exam and, you know, to be more educated in the space. Nonetheless, there's still a lot I know I have to learn. And there's still things that bump into me and trigger me, right? But now I'm more cognizant that there are things that will trigger me. So I give myself a pause and choose a response and I don't allow myself to react. But that's just because of all the self-growth stuff I do in the coaching world and et cetera. Why well, I- honestly, just these conversations have helped me personally too. And so selfishly, people are like, why are you doing this, Trisha? And I'm like, because it's helpful. Like it's just continuing the conversation and being in a space where we can learn and grow and develop, challenge maybe biases and perspectives that we hold or assumptions or even better ways of articulating things and expressing things that um, maybe we're in a total alignment on, but I've never thought to articulate it in that way before. Now, we have a special guest with us, Letitia Handy, who is making huge strides in the community on all these issues around DEI, making things a better place. Please tell us about yourself, what it is you do, and how you got into the space of serving the community the way you do. I definitely am excited to be here with you both. You all have been phenomenal so far. I love your energy. So as I'm shy in telling about myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so intrigued by their stories. In regards to the work that I do, I am the executive director for the Citizens Unity Commission in the city of Hampton, Virginia. And so pretty much that work it's, it's broad in theory of what we do, but we focus on uh, core concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so my work in equity is both internal and external to city employees, as well as residents and stakeholders and businesses. And so I'm sure you can imagine that my work has picked up in the last year or two with the social justice movements, the racial unrest, the pandemic, health equity, making sure that our residents are vaccinated. So giving you a line of things that 
we've been responsible of doing here in the city and abroad for every municipality has been also working on the census. So my work has not slowed down this year. 2020 was a shock for us all um, in regards to just day to day. If we didn't have all of those components, I would be educating citizens on starting the conversation and joining the conversation as it relates to building community for inclusivity. It's one of those double-edged, like, I'm grateful that it it picked up, but also then sad that, right? Like, it's it's like, it I'm is. super glad that you're really busy and then also just distraught that you have to be really busy, right? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. I think when I was um, in school, social work and human services, they say the goal is to work yourself out of a job, but you never do because <laughs> the problem will always exist that we have the working components that try to divide us each and every day. And there has to be those fire starters to be able to one, light the flame of hope and, and integrity and unity and equality. So we are here. We are here for that. Well, we're happy to have you. I'm super excited. So thank you. So our subject today, and I was texting back and forward with Trish, before we have a conversation, we try our best not to conversate about it. Prior. Which is very difficult, people, I with your friend you know, that you're not like, we purposely yes. like try not to get on a call because if we do, we just, we- we're going to talk about it. And so I want the world to know that our friendship communication has actually gone down since we started doing the show, right? Because we're trying our best not to talk about the issues that we would talk about here so that the, the conversation is literally authentic. So now when something buzzes me, I don't immediately call Trisha like I would do before. Or even send her a text. And I've avoided her Facebook page so that I don't write a comment on something, right? And then it ends up coming into the conversation. So literally, this has been quite interesting, a sacrifice. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to make sure that this is really like this authentic conversation that we have. So literally, it's not at all scripted. When I tell you it is zero scripted, you have to understand this is zero scripted, right? So I have been swarming clubhouse looking for people who are interesting on LinkedIn, looking for people who are interesting, who I think are interesting in this space. And I've gone to Trish, Trish, I think I got somebody. I think they'd be really good for us to talk to. We should bring them on the show. I'm going to invite them and see what happens, right? So I've sent out these invites and some people have come and said, yes, they would. And we've had these then amazing conversations, Because this is the world that we're talking about, right? We're talking about you reaching across the aisle in your workplace, talking to people you wouldn't normally talk to on your platforms, people you wouldn't normally talk to in what we call kind of the coffee area, but actually now starting to have those conversations. So the topic today is, of course, we're talking about women and we're talking about intersectionality, right? That being a key thing on how does this kind of all intersect for us as women, because it's Women's Month. So we're starting there. So I'm going to put that out to you guys. How do you feel as a woman? And because you're our guest, Letitia, I will let you go first. As a woman, when we talk about DEI, what does that mean to you? So I'm glad that you proffered that this was not scripted. I didn't receive the questions in advance to prepare any comments. So this is completely organic. Yes, it is. (laughs) What I will be sharing and kind of wrapping my mind around what that looks like. What does that look like? What does DEI look like to me? And so as a woman, it's been quite challenging to elevate in the professional arena. Um, Once you reach 
corporate America or any form of government and executive positions, the stages change, you know, as far as what it looks like, the environment itself. So when you talk about intersectionality, that's one component of diversity is the environments in which we're planted. And so as an African-American woman, both being a millennial woman, African-American, the minority, at one point before I got married, a single parent um, trying to pursue purpose in the professional arena, I suffered a lot with imposter syndrome. And so when I say imposter syndrome, it meant that I felt as if I had to work twice or sometimes three times as hard as my counterparts because there wasn't many similarities in the realms of influence that I landed myself in. And so when I say that, I mean that everyone around me did not look like me. And so when you're trying to find that buddy or partner to um, seize the opportunities with you, it's sometimes very low and, and short in between. So for me, diversity has been important about lifting people up that one, share similar stories, but also looking at the perspectives of other people to learn and grow from them. So it's been both scary and advantageous in opportunity to connect with people that I may not have otherwise been in the space with. How about for you, Trish? So for me, mine's kind of evolved. I've always been very aware that A, a lot of doors were open for me as a female in tech. And I am very grateful for some powerful mentors that every time I said no, they were like, yes, you can. And, and, and just constantly, and they were all male. Um, but I, I had a lot of really wonderful male mentors that really just pushed me and challenged me and included me and incorporated me. And so when, as I moved more into leadership roles, I've always been the person that's really made important on the diversity and trying to open doors and, and give other people opportunities, make people, you know, I'm always the person that when we do go to an agile event and they're like, who's Trisha coming with? I don't know. She'll bring someone new each time. Like that's always been my thing. What I've really learned in the last couple of years for me, DEI has elevated to another level of really talking about how, what's my role in amplifying and engaging. It's not enough to just open the doors. It's not enough to just get those opportunities. But how do I make sure that really they feel belong, belonging and inclusivity and, and what's my role in that has really been my focal point in trying to learn and grow and be better in creating that space and that world that I want. And one of the things I'm going to put you on blast for right, Trish? You're not going to like, I'm going to put you on blast for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> she actually went as far as giving up her seat on a board, a major board within our industry to say, put somebody here who represents color in this seat. So a lot of people talk, right? But not many people that I know or are my, I am associated with take talk to action. And that's one of the things that I always admire about Trish. And she gets a lot of slack for it too, from a lot of people, because they're always frightened of what the hell is she going to do next, right? Trish, she will do crazy and you just don't know what the crazy is going to be. And she'll be totally unapologetic about her crazy, right? Because there's always an intention that's driving it. So it's like, I have always been pushing against what I call the masculine power from being a little girl, because I've always observed that men seemed to have more power than women. And I hated it. 
I, I hated the community I existed in where women always seemed to be the underdog and whatever a man said drove and made everything happen. So it's almost like I made it my thing that no man would drive and direct me, which caused a lot of problems when you consider I came from a very staunch Pentecostal background, religious wise, where it says the woman should be quiet and shouldn't be speaking, and should be in the background, and shouldn't be leading, right? So there were all these things that went anti to what it was I was molding myself into be, which was this strong female voice. But the interesting thing was once I hit the corporate environment, I didn't feel as strong as him anymore. Because there were way more guys out there Mm-hmm. And they were us and other women who were in corporate space with me weren't loud, weren't driving. The first time I met a female that was really loud and driving and didn't give in to any man was at Worldcom. And her name was Wendy. And Wendy was maybe four foot. Right? So she was a tiny little woman who was really petite. But she would not let any man in any meeting drive over talker man speaker it wasn't happening she would get a point across and you would listen and i admired her so much because i'd never seen a woman in any space go toe to toe with any man so it really gave me a lot of courage and i wanted to kind of emulate her you know like, i want to be like that i want to be able to to speak like that and know my stuff and they can't push back. So I have been the internal feminist who struggles with my concepts of traditional home life. Well, that's part of the imposter syndrome, right? Yeah, it really is. And then to share just a alternative to that is that when I say I entered into a corporate arena that didn't look like me, it wasn't so much that it was infused with male perception because here in Hampton, our city manager is a female, you know, and so she's one of the first, I think she is the first city manager that we had that was female. And our demographics is majority African American here in Hampton. The image concerns that I had were that I didn't see, I internalized what women that would be compared to me look like. And so since my city manager, she is a Caucasian female woman, there was still that sense of separatism that we didn't share the same life experiences. And so I had a disconnect that I had to continue to check myself on those internal biases that we may not say. It's a subconscious um, review of our own intentions and our perceptions of what makes us alike, you know, that we sometimes see for face value. And so though there was an opportunity there that I could have capped on to earlier in our relationship, I was hesitant because of my own experience and what support looked like moving forward. So much like you, Lizzie, there were certain traditional values that I came equipped with. I came equipped with the history of having African-American women to support me and help me to thrive and enrich me with opportunities to advance. And so even in my college career, the mentors that I had were professional Black women. And so then coming into an arena that did not mirror that in its entirety, there was that diversity piece. 
we sometimes assume that we want to enter spaces where there's a melting pot. And that still is incorrect because the melting pot means that we all turn gray. But you have to look at it more so of being a salad when you're approaching the opportunity because you want to add each spice individually to add the color that gives you the substance. And so I had to learn to see the value in the tomatoes, if I could say, for the lack of a <laughs> I love the fact you talk about a melting pot where we all turn gray. Yeah. That's like a, wow. I've, I've yeah. never heard that before. And that just, that gives me well, so speaks much. To you think it, it has that, like the negative connotations of all of that too. I like it. it. it and it also speaks to a more systemic value that we would like for our lives to be comparable to people that we see doing what we do. And so even if you look at your social groups and structures in life, you're connected to people that do similar activities, have similar lifestyles, have similar backgrounds to you. And then you indulge yourselves in those opportunities. It's not until you really try to see something different that you begin to open your eyes and your opportunities. I think in one of your um previous series that I saw you talk about expanding your lenses. And sometimes you deal in life with cracked lenses. Um, Some of them are very smudged and, and others are, you know, just not in focus, if you'd say, for lack of a better word. So if you have these lenses that you're walking around with that have these cracks, you never give yourself the opportunity to see clearly that there's an opportunity outside yourself. Well, not only do you not see the opportunity, you usually have everybody else reinforcing that the cracks are normal, that that's no, that's what you should see. Like that it's almost reinforcing your current lens, that, that current dynamic. Yeah. And if I could just say in reinforcing that, what we do is we continue to live cycles of destruction. And, and when I say cycles of destruction, there are opportunities that we don't seize because of the pre-existing notions that we're better apart, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went to a DEI conference and I and I cannot speak to the person who shared it. I, I am going to blank on it. This is not my thing, but somebody was sharing it. And what you just highlighted made me think of it is like she referred, we hear so much about glass ceilings, especially for women and, and especially for women of color, but there, there's actually glass cliffs and that we won't even take on certain, like we will self-select out because we didn't have one thing in the list of qualifications. We will self-select out because we, you know, uh, the imposter syndrome and, and the qualification, like we just, there's so many things that will make us go, unless we can be bigger, badder, bolder, faster, no way are we doing that. And then multiply that depending on how many other facets of underrepresented you are, exponentially just grows. And, and so it's, it's always surprising to me, especially even when I started interviewing, like how many times I was like, why would you not interview for this? And they're like, well, I didn't hit this one thing. And I'm like, that says optional. (laughs) It wasn't even a required thing. And still we will self weed out because there's that dynamic that you're talking about in there. Not even what others are putting on us, what we will put on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And then when you think about the facts of self-selecting yourself out, I think we are moving in a time where each person paves 
their way. So they're paving the way for someone else's success. Um, I'm sure most of you saw the iconic picture with Ruby Bridges and Kamala Harris when she was uh, selected to be vice president, when she won the candidacy for vice president. The picture emulated the steps that Ruby Bridges had to take in order for Kamala Harris to then be presented in the space that she was in making history of the first female vice president. But I think with those opportunities that we're seeing happening and they're bubbling up everywhere, women are finally becoming more secure in their voice and knowing that they have a seat at the table. And so those tables look different depending on the areas of influence you're wishing to seek, knowing that you don't have to self-select out. I remember when I was applying for the position for executive director, I came initially to the city as the program coordinator. And I had secured at that time my associate's degree and bachelor's degree in human services with the background and volunteer coordinator for uh, social work and in a homeless shelter. And I was thinking that that was enough for me. I was good enough being the program coordinator and I didn't mind taking my instruction from at that time, uh, my predecessor, the executive director. Well, she was leaving. Another woman gave me an opportunity and she said, Letitia, I think that this position is for you. I think that you have the power within you to take this seat and all you have to do is apply. And so the mandate where you were talking about Trish was, it required a master's degree and I didn't have a master's degree. So I was thinking there's no way that I am qualified for the position, but sometimes you feel as if the letters behind you or the accolades that you have achieved determine your success and they don't because your gift makes room for you. Even if you know you didn't have the formal training, you're working in the field each and every day. And so if I could say one thing to inspire, because that's at the core of me and the work that I do, is that it doesn't matter what your qualifications are if you have the passion to see it through. And I was, I was promoted and I've been the executive for about four years. So I'm excited. I mean, this is awesome. Moving forward, regardless of the qualification, because you realize you have the experience and you're choosing to do it anyway. I have this image left in my head because I'm a huge visual, right? I have this image left in my head now of this glass cliff that is there and underneath it, this pot of gray, which is like a crazy image. But I'm realizing that when we stand on the cliff, because it's glass, we're seeing everybody who's underneath us. And when we look, we're seeing people who look like us away on the bottom. So what makes it possible that we can hop this cliff and go over when there's not many people on the other side, right? And that's the part where the work we have got to do today to make tomorrow better is taking the leaps across all of the glass cliffs, breaking through all the ceilings. So when the girls behind us come, there's a whole bunch more of us on the other side. So they'll be willing to take the leap because it's like we talk about the Camilla Harris, right? And she, we're like, okay, well, here she is, but she's one, she's one. which can then ca- put the doubt. Yeah, but she's, it's just her. And yes, she is, but it's because she was this. And well, she's also tied to this person and she's also tied to this person. I'm not tied to those circles. So somehow that means I don't qualify. So I'll keep looking at the ceilings 
I'll even climb up, although I've slid down a couple of times on the top of the cliff, but I'm never going to jump because there's still not enough people who look like me. So we have got to get the success factor to be diversely seasoned, as you used the seasoning earlier, right? Yeah. So that the other size is seasoned with all the hues of womanhood. Right. And we also have to change who we look at looks like me. So that's the other thing that I had to do is when I'm looking out, I can't look at it as a qualifier of, like Trish said, this isn't the qualification. She doesn't look like me because she's not African-American. She doesn't look like me because she had to start at this place. I have to change my lens and how I look at women to compare how they look like me. So Trish looks like me. Lizzie looks like me. And I have to connect to the thing within you that we can both mirror in each other. Yeah, I agree. There's a saying I have, I talk about it a lot, that I believe that as women, we're all bodies of water, right? And if you think of the many bodies of water that exist, right, there's swamps, there's streams, there's rivers, you know, there's waterfalls, and some of them are tropical, and some of them aren't, right? But there's still all these bodies of water. But you could disqualify yourself because you're like, well, I'm not a flowing water. You know, I'm not coming out of the Himalayas. I'm coming out of a rock in the back of Texas. So I don't qualify, but we're still all water. And here's the powerful thing. When all these bodies of waters come together, they form this ocean, right? And when you look at the ocean, you can't say which body of water is in the ocean. It's the ocean. And I see that as our sisterhood. When women come together, forgetting the little differences that make us separate and finding what unites us as women gives us power to birth things, power to kill some stuff too. So the stuff that's getting in our way that keeps separating us, telling us we're not good enough, going into the schools and stopping our girls from choosing the subjects that would qualify them to begin to open these doors and get into these rooms, we have got to kill those things, but we'll only ever be able to kill them if we come together as the ocean and destroy them. And then give birth to the new life that we want for our granddaughters, our nieces. So long after we've gone, the conversations we're having now wouldn't be a conversation they would have. It would be mute because it's so normal. Lizzie gave you warning earlier. I'm, I, I go there occasionally. Like, I love the feeling of this. And then I go, you know, I think about the few female bosses. And I do mean few. I have not had many female bosses or even female higher management, higher leadership kind of situations. And I will say there's a pattern for me that I have found that that I have either one of two experiences. I either have this great like partnership, dynamic, collaborative, or I have this other extreme that was, I wanted you to see me as a mentor, like the other person wanting me to see them as a mentor. And if I didn't give them the respect and mentor, it was almost like a war. Like it, it actually felt like another woman was rooting for me to fail. And so I, I want to be, I want to talk about that a little bit because I, I like the idea of like, once there's more women, it won't be an issue. But that's not really been my full experience is, is some of the most supportive people for me has not been females. Some of my best collaborative partners and things has been females. Um, but like in terms of pushing me and challenging me and growing me, I have encountered more of the female leaders that want to be revered. And when you're not putting them on that pedestal, they want you in your place like <laughs> really quickly. And so maybe I've just had some bad run. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's me. <laughs> no, I 
think you're on to something golden. When you say that, it's about being transparent about the yin and yang of things. So for every good thing, there's a trying thing. That's the polarity of life. And so to talk about the obvious that you may not have such a grand experience that women are going to come in spaces and always be accepted and mentored and appreciated for the fact that I may not even want to mentor in some of those spaces. I think that it's our responsibility to change the narrative though. And so equally as so, I have had relationships that I felt were going to be this wonderful, thriving friendship, partnership, collaboration. I am woman, hear me roar. We're going to take it by stride, you know? And then things change. That isn't what I was expecting. This person didn't have the same intentions that I may have led with. And sometimes I may not have led with the right intentions if I can be critical of myself and say that there has been, even in some seasons as I've grown, a sense of jealousy in people's positions that I may not have acquired or aspired to at that time. And so that's just a human component, you know, that we deal with the humanity of people and that whether it were female or male, you will face a challenge when dealing with people. I think that in our responsibility, as I was saying, to change the narrative, you have to grow beyond your comfort level because if we base everything on emotions, then nothing really gets done. And so even the people that are difficult to work with, you find the common ground for the good or order of whatever you're trying to seize. That opportunity is more important than your feelings. For me in those spaces, I have I sit at tables with people that I know revere me and that I know extremely dislike me. And that's <laughs> I mean, I'm being real. Yeah, right. yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you'll go into rooms and you'll um, be accepted. And sometimes for as many people who love you, you have twice as many people who will hate you. And sometimes it's going to be women. And that's very saddening. But you have to go with the flow and just keep on going, depending on whatever the task is at hand. I wouldn't ever tell anybody to be in discomfort just for discomfort. But I think it goes to your analogy earlier with the, the salad of is like, I think there is this expectation of like, Lizzie's talked about this before, especially as a black woman in terms of, I feel like I represent all women. Like I feel like sometimes I, especially in the tech, when you're one of a few or things along those lines. And so there's not only sometimes competition, but just sadness, like a loss almost. Like I I didn't get that person that I I wanted to see on that other side of that hill. And and maybe there's some grief with that. I need, you know, I can take some ownership in hindsight too of going, oh, I had expectations, (laughs) but I wouldn't have had those expectations in other settings. But I I think that's one of the challenges that we have is, is we as women can be so uplifting and we can be so cruel too. But I think that's a big weight to bear as well, to feel as if you're responsible to be the face or the mascot for all women. And you put these unrealistic expectations on people just based on your generality of gender that, oh, we're women and this is how we should. And I am the spokesperson for all women. I think that that's a hard and well, it's dangerous. Hard. It is. It's very dangerous. And so you have to allow yourself to grow people to people. You know, and in this work in diversity and inclusion, one of the things we try not to do is generalize experiences based on race. You know how, oh, all African-American men are separate fathers. All African-American women are single mothers. Ten percent of African-Americans aren't homeowners. That 
could be furthest from the truth. You know, in my experience, I grew up in a household that we purchased homes. I have a home. I'm a homeowner. You know, I'm married. My son is college bound. But those generalities that we put on people and those said social constructs damage us. And it's also the same if you look at it across gender, that that generalized thought that we're all supposed to be the same or have the same intent is just too much. It's too much to put on people. So here's my thought. And I'm having memories of some of those horrid experiences of the concept of coming into alignment with women and thinking together, we've got woman power and yes, we're Wonder Woman and we're going to make it and it doesn't happen. But the message I've given myself is they weren't there for me. I choose to be there for somebody else. So that's the message I carry with myself. Now, I'm not putting that on anybody else. I'm not saying that should be anybody else's frame of reference. So right? let me devil's advocate. Go ahead. If your perspective is I was there for them and they weren't there for me, could they equally have been feeling I was there for her and she wasn't there for me? Absolutely. I would, I would absolutely agree with you. And that's why I said that idea of coming to the place of being very conscious about it. So when I look at my career, I started out as I was climbing in the idea of, you don't know what I had to do to get here. If you think you're just going to walk in the door and going to sit down at this table after I went through all the work I had to, you're mad. Do you understand that you're mad? It ain't happening. I had that kind of viewpoint in my late twenties and early thirties, not going to lie. Then as I started growing, developing myself, I realized that was because I felt they were taking something from me if they showed up. Mm. Not that they would be adding something to the conversation. Raw honesty, man. That's just where I was. Do you know what I mean? I really was at that place. And I have a cringing moment that sits in my head of a day. uh, There was another black professional female and she did something that totally wound me up. (laughs) Right. And I snapped. I went so snobbish on her in a heartbeat second in front of a room full of white counterparts that if I could go back in time, I would undo it, but I can't go back in time and undo it. So it's still a cringe moment for me. And I made it now a growth moment because I felt that sense of, I brought you to this space and now you want to challenge me in front of all themselves so that you can look better. You know, you're like, that's the game we're playing here. Really? We're going to do this? And sadly, I feel in many cases, the workplace, when it is a lot of whites in leadership, have pitted Blacks against each other. And that's something that inherently comes back from the whole counterparts of slavery, when you've got Blacks who went and hunted down Black free slaves, who right? You brought them together and you used them against each other. And there's been a history of utilizing people who look the same to take down each other. And sometimes the habit is still there because we're not conscious of the effects. When we become more educated, we realize we cannot allow ourselves to be used against each other. So if I have a disagreement with you, I've got to be careful how I air it because I can't allow my disagreement to take you down as a professional in your space. So let me have a quiet conversation with you somewhere about what you did. Now that takes maturity to wait when it happens 
And then let's go have a quiet conversation where nobody else is seeing and hearing. So you and I can converse about what just happened privately versus me taking you to task immediately with a reaction that then leaves in the air lingering. You just made me have a realization like massively in that I think it's not just even pinning people of color against each other, minorities in the rooms. It's women too. Like I, I experienced where it wasn't malicious. It wasn't intentional, but it was almost like let the two women cat fight it out when they all had the same issue I did. They didn't want to look like they were being mean to a woman, right? Like, so then they were letting me do it, but then it became this like woman against woman dynamic. And, and I was so frustrated and it never occurred to me, white privilege right there, that that is a whole dynamic that we do across the board for many different things. So white privilege of me never even occurring to me that that's not just that moment, but like that that is something probably unconscious for many, many people, but that we do. The least in the room tends to be the things that's used to manipulate the situation, right? Whatever's the least. So if it's the least women, if it's the least people of color, whatever is the least perceived in the room tends to be the pieces that manipulate. Well, and it's also safer to let, well, I don't want to look like I'm racist. So I'll let this other, right? Like there's, there's a safety, a self-serving safety in hiding behind it. 47 minutes in, I'm bowed. (laughs) (laughs) She's bowed out. I think it's also contextual. And it's uh, dependent on the situation and circumstance. I think with um, what you were talking about initially about intersectionality, there's layers to people and the components of power. And so when we're talking about the things that you can uh, see surface, the surface arguments that you may have in the office between someone and you were talking about that person not having room, they're not being room for that person at the table. And that was your fear, which motivated your response, which caused you to act irrational in the moment and you wish you could take back. But the systemic part of that, the layer of that is that the fear that you inherently filled was not something that you just developed. It was developed by a system that has perpetuated the amount of spaces available for people of color and women to be at an executive level. And so with that layer of systemic racism, it perpetuates itself, not necessarily as open as uh, Trish just said, white privilege. No, it's something that you don't even maybe realize that you're doing. So it's hard to get people to come to consensus when they're just following the processes that have been laid before them. So when you have two African-Americans in the room and you know that we're all at this executive cabinet level and someone else comes in, you could be thinking, oh, well, there's another black person. They may not have room for me as if you were the um, token, you know, as if your your being there allowed them to fill the mandate or the quota of equal employment opportunity, which is totally different from equity and accessing opportunities for all people just based on their abilities. The fight that we have with women in the workforce inherently so for women of color, the colorism plays a part too. You know, when you talk about light versus dark, so there are different components that we don't even consider that are at play here in how we relate to one another on a day-to-day basis. So for instance, an African-American woman who is darker skin, who has to take orders or 
information from a lighter, fair-skinned woman who was promoted over her and she had been there longer, you might go back in your mind that she got the job because she fits the bill more. Her appearance allows her to be promoted versus my darker skin, even though I may be qualified, even though I may be there longer. So when I see the light-skinned woman come in to get the job, there's that subconscious fear that that person could take a seat before you could. Yeah, because you can't disregard the experiences of your past. Very they true. Play in. They play in, right? They play into here. And then it's where we've got to be deciphering it. Is this still the story that's happening right now or is it a different story? And sadly, a lot of us have got so many stories in our libraries of life that refer to moments that we're living. So, well, that refers to it. That confirms it. That confirms it. And you've got normally more than three. And when you've got more than three, it's almost like that opinion and that thought process tends to rule the moment. And I don't have an answer for that because if we're in a situation where I need this to do all the things I have dreamed to do in positioning my life and positioning my family, and now are those things at risk, that's the part that gets hard, mm-hmm. right? Which I think in one of the things this pandemic has done has promoted so many people to start thinking mm-hmm. of, let me open the space for myself by, by creating my own. So then I don't have to wait for you to bring me to your table. I'm going to create my own table, create my own business, create my own space, create my own voice where I choose who comes to the table. So although that's born out of per se negative feelings, et cetera, it does produce still something positive, right? And still sense of control. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that what births problems is usually from control the need to control the narrative, the need to create your own spaces. It's almost like a child that felt neglected at the playground and then they make their own sandbox. It's still an exclusionary act. And so what we need to do is really work at the core of that child that's making their own sandbox to find out where the feelings came from to find more comfort in being alone than being together because the synergy of the thing is when we connect. And so even though you could go out and build your own business and you could be an entrepreneur on your own, there's still spaces where you're going to have to partner, where it would be advantageous of you to connect and network so that you can grow your market, whatever that market would be. I caution in even in the pandemic, the social anxieties that we are now facing will create challenges. As I said before, the polarity is that for every good thing, there's a trying thing. So the counter to the fact that people have found a sense of comfort in making their own friends and pockets of community because of just the social isolation and wanting to feel safe, we're breaking down the sense of community. And so as we continue to go into these individual pockets, we're getting less and far and far away from being together. And that could be a problem. I like that thought, right? Does Mike, and that brings me back to our individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Are we spending so much time now thinking of ourselves as an individual versus looking at the benefit that comes from those collaborations we can make with those interactions with other people? That's a really good thought. Oh, we had a comment. Um, Tamila Handy said, I know that women leader experience all too well, and it was painful, right? 
And I think that is one of the keys. Until we heal from the pains we've been through, I think we'll create more pains from them. And so that's probably some of the work we're going to have to do as women individually recognize your trauma from being backstabbed or overlooked or pushed back as a woman and recognize it, be transparent about it and work on healing it. So as you move forward in your career and on your different spaces and your promotions, those are experiences you have, but not pain that you're moving forward to become weaponizing it. Well, and that it's not pie. I mean, I hear that statement all the time, but others getting something does not mean you're losing something. And, and like, that's the dynamic of, is that truly we gain from that diversity. We gain from the, the difference is in, in experiences and that you will be better because of it, not losing because of it. And I think re resetting that a lot for, for some people um, is important too. So on that note, we want to let you know that you can reach Letitia Harding, and she's going to tell you all about herself. Please tell people how they can reach out to you. This has been so much fun. Yes. And thank you all for the invite. You can reach me at by email, Letitia.handy at Hampton.gov. You can also visit the Hampton.gov support slash unity webpage for anything as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, personal mission to inspire women to imagine, see, and believe in their unlimited possibilities. You can follow me at She's Got Purpose on any platform, Facebook, IG, or YouTube. Please share this conversation with others so that we can help people continue the conversation and find people who can help them to facilitate it. Like fabulous Letitia Hardy here. Thank you so much. (laughs) for being here with us and we appreciate it guys continue having conversations even if it's just one conversation at a time thank you guys so much for being here now just because the episode is over doesn't mean the conversation has to stop come find us on instagram at let's continue the conversation and let us know what you thought of today's episode and what takeaways you're leaving with and don't forget to help us spread the word screenshot the episode add it to your insta stories and tag us at let's continue the conversation you can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over on let's continue the conversation.com we look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time